you're listening to Church of Hope's podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope today's teaching encourages and inspires you. Check out hopeinocala.com for more resources on this journey called life. Here's today's teaching. Good morning. Good to see you on the campus and those joining us online, wherever you might be. Hey, grab your Bible or turn on your digital device. We are in Matthew uh, chapter 24 this morning. Been in a Bible study simply called Signs, right? We, We get it. As we drive the driving experience, we encounter signs along the way, right? Some of those signs are informational. They let us know that, hey, our exit is so many miles down the road. Uh, Some signs invite us to pull over and uh, get a cheeseburger because we're hungry, or they welcome us to the state that we're traveling through. Some signs, they, they warn us. They want us to know that there's construction ahead, or the right lane is merging into the left lane. And even in life, right, there's there's signs that we see that that guide our decision-making process. I, I got a text uh, early uh, this morning, and someone said, hey, PMC, you know, you're teaching on this, this series called Signs, and uh, kind of in times, and, and um, uh, he, he, he said, hey, you know, you know it for sure, it's a sign of the times, of the end times. Alabama lost a football game last night. Yeah. I, I, I just thought that was, I'm sorry, I just thought, uh, okay. Uh, but but you, 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 you get this. Now, um, as we gather and as we talk through our Bible study today, um, you know, when, when, for some reason, I don't know exactly why, when we think about uh, signs, there's this idea that, oh, the end times and it's bad and it's like challenging and it's, it's no good. And, and just to kind of help us in our mind's eye, right? Like when it comes to the end, end times, it's not all bad, right? You, you understand like, does anybody come to the end of the week and say, oh man, it's the end of the week. It's Friday. I'd like to keep on working. I mean, they call it TGIF for a reason, right? Thank God it's, it's, it's Friday. And even check this out in Ecclesiastes 7 and uh, verse 8. Endings, Solomon said, endings are better than beginnings. So the, the end, right? We, we often are, are reading a book and, and we're into it. and We're kind of wondering what's going to happen to this character and whatever. And we can, you know, we want to get to the end of the book and see what's, see, what's, see what's going on. And so I get when we talk about this Bible study, you can kind of be like, oh my goodness, it's, it's all, all bad news. Listen, it's not bad news at all. It's, it's good news. Even in the world we live in today, I realize we watch TV and you want, you know, different news and whatever it might be, and you can kind of feel like home of the whole world. We had earlier, I'm going to show you this video in a second. We, um, we, we had one of the FCA directors uh, on our campus this morning, uh, Grace Daly, and uh, she was out at Liberty Middle School. And I want you to see what uh, took place this week. And I want you to notice uh, all the students in the stands. And then I want you to think about what were you doing? When you were in middle school, take a look at this.
pretty good, huh? I mean, I'm just telling you. Uh, when I was a middle school student, I was not standing in front of other students saying, we worship, worship you. And so, hey, this week, when you're listening to whoever you're listening to and they're telling you that it's the end of the world and the things are coming and it's no good, hey, just remember Jaden. I got to meet Jaden this morning uh, and his mom and his, his uh, cousin. I, I told, I told Jaden, hey, we, we have worship rehearsal on Wednesday nights. <laughs> and next Sunday, I hope to see him up on, on the platform. But in our Bible study, right, you're, you're, you, you, we've, we've come to this point where I showed this, uh, this right here, this, uh, this outline, this uh, timeline of these biblical events, uh, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, where you are in your Bible. Let me see if I can explain a little bit of it this morning. So Matthew 24, verse number 3, it says this. Now, as he, that's Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him. Now, what I want you to do is, if you're a follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to put yourself in the story. In other words, now the disciples, instead of saying the disciples, now Mark came to him. Put your name in there now. Now Mark came to him privately saying, yo, Jesus, tell us, tell me, when will all these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's the question. When will it be? And, and, and I, li, li, listen, I understand. Many of us, you've got a bucket list. You've got things that you want to do with your life. You're anticipating going on this trip or you're going to college or you're going to do it. I mean, I get it. We have lots of things, but, but, but hear me. The Bible says that the endings are better than the beginnings. And this idea that this future moment that we would be with God for all of eternity and why would that, why would we struggle with that? Maybe, I'm just asking out loud, maybe, maybe one of the reasons we struggle with being with God for all of eternity is because we don't spend much time with God today. Like on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, when you're sitting and you're making a decision, should we buy this house compared to that house? Should I go to this college compared to that university? Should I, what, what, what? Maybe the reason that we struggle about, well, the ending and the beginning, well, what, maybe it's because our relationship, like if you don't have a close relationship with God, I can see how you'd be sitting where you are today or watching online saying, oh my goodness, that future event, the end times of being with God forever and eternity, oh, I, I'm not so sure. The disciples were asking Jesus then, and many of us are asking the same kind of question today. What, just tell me, what's like the sign? If I knew like he's coming back on Wednesday at four, I'd adjust my calendar, my schedule. But can you just show me something and notice? Jesus says this in verse five, and this is so important for us this morning. For many will come in my name. Well, let me back up, verse four. And Jesus answers them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. In other words, the first thing he wants us to be aware of, listen, don't be deceived. I want you to be aware of what I'm up to. God wants us to be aware. He wants us to be alert. He doesn't want us to be deceived at all. He wants us to understand that, listen, I am your source. I'll be your, your strength. Notice verse number six. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. We kind of get that. That's a sign. That's been a part of our culture for, for a long time, right? People are always arguing and squabbling about whatever it might be. Uh, and he says, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, pestilences. We definitely understand, right? Diseases and, and viruses and pandemics and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, they're, just, they're, they're, they're the beginning. We're not there yet. And this timeline that I introduced to you, right? There's this moment. The Bible calls it the rapture. Then there's this seven-year time period that's called the Great Tribulation. And then we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. Most of us, right, you, the first coming, like the whole Christmas moment, you're not sitting here this morning saying, nah, don't, nah, I don't believe in that so much. You believe in it. You celebrate that Jesus Christ came as a baby in, in a manger. But the Bible talks more about his second coming and gives signs in the Bible that was written thousands of years ago that are visible in our world today. Before that moment, there's this moment called the rapture, and there's no sign. It happens whenever God decides. They, but in this time period between the rapture and the second coming, there is this seven-year time period. But what we got to deal with is when Jesus says he doesn't want us to be deceived. What he's saying is one of the signs that his coming is imminent, it's going to happen sooner rather than later, is there's this sense of overall deception in the world. That, that something's being said that under the surface really isn't true. That decisions are being made that are guiding people in a certain direction that really is ultimately wanted in a different direction. That's what deception is as people we want safety right as people we 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 want a sense of of security we want taken care of and people will look listen if someone thinks that their safety or their security is threatened we will look for someone or a source someplace to get that security we want to feel safe and secure now think with me we live in a in, in a world today where things happen that are outside of your particular control and people who have been elected as leaders step into that void step into that gap step into that vacuum and say hey listen i got this i got you i'll i'll take care of you and the struggle that we find ourselves in is who shows up as your savior who shows up as your source. See, Jesus, going back to Matthew chapter 24, he says, listen, I don't want you to be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. In other words, there'll be people, there'll be groups who step into the void of pain, step into the void of your insecurity, step into the void of what sense of, of fear and apprehension says, listen, you don't have to be afraid about this. I've, I've got this. This is happening in our world right now. Happening in the world in which we live right now. Now, on this screen behind me, there's this rapture that I believe. Now, you might not believe it. I believe with the Bible. I taught it several weeks ago. You can go back and watch that message. That there is this supernatural moment where Jesus raptures, evacuates all believers on the earth. Now, that's not foreign to us. A few weeks ago, you watched on your TV screen that in the country of Afghanistan, there were American citizens. And our government realized 
that the government in Afghanistan was about to tip and it was gonna be an unsafe place for American citizens, or for that matter, even Afghan citizens who had helped out Americans. So there was an evacuation plan. There was a rapture. They pulled out thousands of Americans who were in Afghanistan and brought them, raptured them out of Afghanistan back to the United States because it was not gonna be best. It was not gonna be safe. It was not gonna be secure for Americans to be in Afghanistan. You saw that. You understand that. That's exactly what the rapture is. There's this seven-year period. The Bible speaks. It's called the Great Tribulation. God loves his people. He doesn't want us to be through that. So he's going to rapture everybody who's believed in him. He's going to rapture. He's going to evacuate. He's going to rescue us out of that space. Now, this is what's so important. It's because, think about it. We've gone through the last two years, 18 months, a cataclysmic. We, we've gone through a very difficult time. And leaders have stepped into that space and have made decisions to guide your life. They've stepped into what seems as a very um, fearful, troublesome world and said, listen, here's what you need to do. Here's how I'm going to mandate you do this. I'm going to step in and I'm going to give you your safety and your security. I will be your, your source. We're seeing that in our world right now. But in this tribulation time, the Bible talks about the ultimate world leader who steps on the scene. Think about it. As challenging as the last 18 months have been, compared to millions and millions of people who are believers and followers of Jesus... The rapture happens, and millions and millions of people are now gone. All the different careers, all the different um, uh, jobs, all the different families, the global chaos. The Bible teaches us in Revelations 13 that there'll be a world leader who steps in, much like the leaders have stepped in today and said, hey, listen, I got this. I'll be your source. I'll be your protection. Let me show you from the Bible. Look on the big Bible on the screen, Revelations 13. The whole world, this is after the rapture, on the screen behind me, this is in this great tribulation period. The whole world marveled at this miracle. I'll explain what that miracle is in a moment. And gave allegiance to the beast. The beast, the Bible's talking about, is this world leader. Why did they give him allegiance? Because in the midst of global chaos, he steps in and says, this is how to live. This is what you need to do to be safe and secure. Think about it. That's not foreign to us in today's world. There's leaders who have mandated certain behavior that you now are following because you want safety. You want a sense of security. Now the Bible tells us there will be this new leader who steps in. Notice verse 4. They worshiped the dragon, that's this person, for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? In other words, when someone shows up in your life and restores your safety, restores your security, restores your sense of hope, finances, health, whatever that is, we have a tendency as human beings to worship them, to say it's all about them. Look what they've done. Notice what it says next. And he, 
this world leader was given authority to rule over, here's the globalism, every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshiped the beast. He, here it is. Do you see it? Jesus warned the disciples then, and I'm standing as best as I can in 21 saying the same words as Jesus. Do not be deceived because he, this this, this leader, this global political leader, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. <clears throat> he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, <clears throat> to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. This is not some Friday the 13th crazy Halloween moment. This is, a, this is a prophecy of what this leader will require people to do. And no one could buy. This isn't this far-fetched to us in today's world, is it? No one could buy or sell anything without that mark. You have to show something in order to go in. You have to show something to participate. You have to prove. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark. Now, here's the Bible. Wisdom is needed here let the one that's you my prayer is you let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is 666 in the bible jesus talked about it thousands of years ago the bible here now in revelation is talking about this antichrist who's going to show up and say to you i'll be your savior the health crisis, I'll be your savior. The financial crisis, I'll be your savior. The, the, the racial division, I'll be your savior. The political demise, I'll be your savior. To the global tensions, wouldn't it be great if we just come together, the whole world, hold hands, sing kumbaya, and everybody just follow me. I will mandate it. I will tell you how to live, and the world will be a better place. Question to ask, how do we get from where we are today to where the Bible's teaching in Revelations chapter 13? What I want to do is take just a few moments to try to show how it's not that far of a leap. It's not that much of, of, of a gap. So just hang with me. I promise I won't, I won't linger with this too much. In our country right now, there's, there's a debate. And what I'm about to show you, I, I'm not going to lean on one side or the other side. But there's a debate that's going on right now. What's the best system? There's a, there's a sense in our country that there's injustice. There's a sense that there's not equity, equality. And so there's this debate that's going on is what's the best system? Is it a, a, a capitalism system that says, hey, listen, you guide and direct and you be responsible for yourself? Or do we need to lean into more of a, a socialism where we, we ask the government to guide and to protect and to direct? Now, we have national leaders now who say out loud, listen, I, I'm, I come from a socialist perspective. I believe that when you empower the government, the government empowered, they would make better decisions, that people would be safer, they'd be secure. If you do what the government tells you to do, that life would be better for you. Now, 
maybe perhaps potentially, and I'm not trying to give a civics class or an economics class, but just in case the idea of capitalism and socialism, as far as a definition goes, you're not quite sure. So let me show you up on the big screen. What's the difference between the two? Capitalism is an economic system where that means the production uh, is owned by private individuals. You own the business, you own your house, you own your cars, private equity. Socialism is the production such as money and other forms of capital are owned by the state or the public. In other words, it's, it's the group. Everybody brings it together. Companies live by the profit motive. We get that. Companies are in business. You work for a company. You're in the business of making money, right? Some people kind of wonder how ethical that is. It's all about the company. It's all about, all about what they're... So socialism, because, listen, everyone works for the wealth that is turned to distribute it to everyone else. In other words, we all work together, right? We put it in this big pot, and at the end of the day... Everybody gets 10 bucks. Everybody, everybody kind of makes out good. No, no, no one gets more or less than the other person. Then also capitalism is the government's job by enforcing laws and regulations to make sure there's a level playing field. On socialism, the government decides how wealth is distributed amongst the people they provide for. Now, I get it. There's people today who would say, what's happening in the world seems so unjust. It doesn't seem right. There's a real question. I'm not going to go back and, and teach what I taught last weekend. You can watch it for yourself. But from the 1619 Project to critical race theory, we are being divided basically into two categories. Either you are an oppressor or you are oppressed. There's this idea that there's not a level playing field. Now, notice here, one in four Americans now want to eliminate capitalism and embrace socialism. In other words, move away from you being responsible, you waking up and making decisions, you having ownership, and believing that what would be best is that you put a government, you put somebody in charge of this who can be better trusted than you or better trusted than a company that's just really out for themselves. I'm going to show a few more slides and then I'll take us back to Scripture and show it how all ties in and we'll be on our way. This report, the U.S. Attitudes Toward Socialism and Communism, if you'd like to have a copy of this, I'm not going to go through all of this, but it, it outlines, and if you're in business or you're in education, it's a really good report. It shows all the data. It even shows how they did the survey. This is not some you know, survey that I'm throwing up this morning for you to kind of you know, believe me or whatever. If you want it, just email Becky, B-E-C-K-Y, at hopeinocal.com, and you can look at the whole report uh, in its totality. But just a couple observations about the shift. I, I'm, I'm teaching you how do we get from where we are in 2021 to where the Bible, Jesus says, don't be deceived, and that there is going to be this one global government that's going to step in and say, listen, trust me, believe me. I, I'm better. The real conversation in our culture today is who will guide you, who will satisfy you more, God or the government? And you sit where you sit today and you're like, my goodness, how could anybody kind of lean into this space and want to follow after one global world leader? Notice, 44% of Gen Z, basically young people 18 to 20, 28, of America uh, is one of the most unequal societies of the world. 
Here, silent generation, boomers, this is older, this is grandmas and grandpas, they, they don't believe that we're, we're an unjust and unequal society, but as you get younger and younger, there's this mindset that the decisions made by their parents and their grandparents, decisions made by companies, haven't brought equity to everybody in America. 78% of Americans say the divide between the rich and the poor is a serious issue. This is critical race theory. This is the culture saying out loud, there's two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors, the haves and the have-nots. This is what socialism does. It takes you and puts you on one side or the other, creates a problem, and then the government steps in and says, we will be the solution. We will be the savior for your problem. Overall, more Americans oppose the idea of universal basic income, but support, but support for it has increased. In other words, grandmas and grandpas, here we are over here, 70% of you say, wait, I, I, I don't want universal basic income. I don't want Washington, D.C. to say, okay, 20,000, 25,000. 20, 30,000, 32,000, 30. I don't want the government, I want to wake up every day, I want to better myself, I want to get educated, I, I want to try, I want to risk, I want to start a company. That's grandmas and grandpas. Notice as we get younger, 43%, almost half of your children, now say out loud, a universal basic salary would be the best way. And then this final, does socialism or capitalism drive more innovation? What's, what's, what's better? Again, grandmas and grandpas say capitalism. Listen, wake up. You, you earn a living. You do your best, and you'll be rewarded for that. As we get younger, it gets skewed that it would be better if we looked to the government and we asked the government to be our savior. When we're facing a cataclysmic problem, when we're facing a local or global problem, rather than us going to God and asking God to guide us and direct us, there's this sense, there's this mindset that the government will take care of our problems, our health problems, our financial problems, our racial problems. And the problem that I see that Jesus was trying to outline that we do not be deceived, one of the problems is we just don't know our Bibles. We just don't know what God has to say. Because I want you to know something. The Bible, no matter what a pastor that you listen to in Ocala or a pastor who might be online says to you, the Bible is not in favor of socialism. On the contrary, the Bible speaks just the opposite. Let me just tell you something about the Bible book that you're having. This book has, has been marginalized as some archaic rule book that wants to zap all the fun out of your life. I want you to know the greatest freedom book the greatest declaration of independence that's ever been was not written by founding fathers. It was written by God's men who have been given to us that we might be, we might be free in indeed. So you gotta know our Bible. Notice John 8 and 31, the Bible says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if, here's the question, if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. No one named Republican will give you freedom. No one named Democrat will give you freedom. No 
human agency can give you freedom. Likewise, no human agency can steal your freedom. The Bible tells us that our freedom is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to make a decision. Is it God who's your Savior through his son Jesus Christ, or it is the government? And unfortunately, there's a whole lot of us who get a lot more excited about who just won the latest political office than we do getting up and looking to what God has to say in his word to us every day. What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 2, notice, in verse 42. They devoted, who's that? That's the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, this is taken out of context in many Bible-believing churches. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is a story of personal sharing, not public socialism. Just like you give faithfully or generously, and we give to nonprofits in our community, just like on 3G Sunday, we'll step out in our community and we will give to people. It is personal sharing not public socialism but also notice in verse 45 they sold property they were owners of property the bible's not against personal property it 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 says just the opposite they had personal property that they could sell it's not the government it's god who is our source ephesians 4 and 28 anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. In other words, the Bible believes in personal property. To steal means I take something that belongs to you. Socialism tells us the opposite. Socialism says there is no personal property. We bring everything into the center and we elect or we give, we yield authority to government leaders and they decide who owns what they're going to own. But Ephesians says just the opposite. It says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, I know this is controversial, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. I I love what Ken and and Wendy Cabertle model for us in our community with wear gloves, uh, dignity serves. One of the most harmful things you ever do to a human being is minimize who they are with a handout. Human beings, don't want, human beings don't need a handout. They need a hand up. We need to help people to love, to have a sense of dignity. That, that I'm, I'm created by God. I've got value and purpose. I don't need a handout from the government. Again, we have been divided to victims or oppressors. We've got to change this mindset. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I get it. You're like, oh, Mark, that sounds so harsh. We have a lot of misplaced compassion in our community. One of the big problems we have with our homelessness right now is obesity. Clothing shelters, you go and you donate all your clothes and, 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 and you go into the different woods right behind us and you can see all the clothes that are straddled all around. Listen. Helping someone move from dependency on a human agency and a dependency on God is the most ultimate loving act that you'll ever do. Yeah. Got to know your Bible. Then we also have to know, we have to know who the real enemy is. 
We have this idea that the enemy is people who, you know, want to vote a certain way or they believe in a more socialistic mindset. That's not our enemy because they, they think what's happened is they're at a point where they don't have a sense of hope. So they say, okay, listen, this hasn't been working for us. This hasn't been working for my family. We need to look into a, a different way. Hear the Bible. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, uh, chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not them guys or those people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, we start from a place that God has created men and women, not as socialists, not as capitalists, not as Republicans, not as Democrats, not as, you know, vaxxers or non-vaxxers. God created us in his image. Every man, every woman, if they're alive and breathing today, regardless of how they identify, how they vote, what they think, they have been created in the image of God. So when you get on your social media and you start tearing down people because of what they think or what they say, you are hurting the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves them. God, God wants every man and every woman to discover hope. People act in a certain way because they're trying to find security. People act and think and vote in a certain way because they want safety. Our role as Christ followers is let people see the greatest security, the greatest safety in the world is not in the government, but it's in God. We gotta know our Bibles, we got to know that our enemy is not people. It's not people. So let me give you a few things to write down. We'll take with us and we'll put them into action this week. You ready? Number one is this: is we've got to resolve from this day to be a follower of Christ, not just a fan. I, I, I think the real tragedy in the United States of America is not what happens in Washington, D.C. It's not what happens in Tallahassee. It's not what happens in the city of Ocala. The greatest tragedy is when people gather like this and we claim to be followers of Jesus, but in all reality is we're really fans. Yeah. Kind of show up on Sunday and we sit in the stands. Hip, hip, hooray. Jesus, yeah. get that ball and go, go the other way. Jesus, whatever it is, right? We're, we're, hey, listen, we're not called to be fans. We're called to be followers if you and i would trust god for our eternal security why would we not trust god in our current situation what it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense we've got to we've got to resolve today that we're going to be committed followers of jesus and not just fans the bible says in galatians 2 and 20 i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. I now live. If you're a believer in Jesus, I don't show up as an American, although I am. I don't show up as a particular political party. I don't show up as a husband, as a dad, as a son, as a friend, as a business owner. I show up first. Galatians chapter 2 and 20, that's Christ that lives within me. He is my motivation. He is the one in which I make a decision of all things that are in my life. I don't add him to my life. He is my life. See, it's God, not the government. Jesus says, do not be deceived. We've leaned into this space 
That somehow we think that if the government was this or the government was that, and the Bible, Jesus is teaching us out loud, I can't say it anymore with any more passion. That the way we get from where we are today to what I described, and I haven't even gone into all the details of the horrors of what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. When this leader steps in and the whole world gives him or gives her allegiance, here's the problem. I know there are, I, here's the problem, ready? Here's a double negative. Here's the problem. I know what the problem, okay. Here's the, the world's a mess. I mean, there are, there are inequities. Would you agree? There is injustice. Would you agree? There is racial strife. I mean, we are a mess. Here's the question. Do you think by changing one political system from capitalism to socialism, that will fix the mess? Do you think by taking one constitution and eliminating it and creating a new constitution that that would solve it? I am telling you, all that is temporary. That's what the Antichrist wants you to believe. The Bible, it is God. Jesus Christ alone is our permanent solution for the pain of sin. It's God. It's God. I like the end zone. I prefer the end zone. I like winning. You win with God. So we got to resolve to be a follower of Christ. Here's the second thing. We have to become aware of the vulnerability and uncertainty of life. Life is really, really fragile. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that in these later days, there's going to be wars. People die in wars. There's going to be famines. I've taught you before. I realize it kind of goes in one ear, not the other ear. I still love you. Four out of five human beings woke up today and their only goal is to find clean drinking water and food. Four out of five human beings globally. I know it's lost on us. It's found on our hips, but it's lost on us. Then the Bible says there'll be pestilence. There's gonna be disease. This won't be the only disease that's worked its way through. I believe it's just a sign of the time. But notice what James says in chapter 4 and verse 13. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to go to this certain town and we're going to stay there a year. We will do our business and there make a profit. We're going to retire. We're going on this trip. We're going to go up north. We're going to look at the leaves. And then at Christmas time, we're going to go out um, west and we're going to do some skiing. And, and then next year, we're going to do this. And he says, wait a second, chill out. Wait a second. Verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. This is going to sound, this might hit you a little bit in a way that you wouldn't want it to be, but one of, one of the, I, I hope you hear what I'm trying to say, one of the benefits of being a pastor, I started in 1989, just a young guy in his 20s, so every year I'm with people who are about to take their last breath. In just a moment, I'll be getting in my car and driving up and seeing one of our ladies who's been fighting cancer. It's ravaged her body. She's no longer taking treatments. And I'm going to go sit with her and 
pray, and it probably would be the last time I will see her alive. So, like, you've got a career, and you've got things like watching people take their last breath isn't something that's on TV to entertain me. It's, it's like, it's real life. And so it's always reminded me that today is the only day. Yesterday's gone. I'm not promised of tomorrow. And it's why I share this point with us this morning. It's so personal. We've got to become aware of the vulnerability and the uncertainty of life. Life is so fragile. The Bible says it's like the morning fog. We get this in Central Florida. This time of year, when the weather's changing and the fog in the morning, it's foggy. But by 10 o'clock, it's burnt off. The Bible says that's what life's like. It's like that fog that you see when you first got up and brushed your teeth. But by mid-morning, it's gone. That's how fast life, life goes. Do you know that, um, maybe you know this, there's 8 billion people. 8 billion, that's a big number. 8 billion people on the earth. You can go and look at it for yourself. The webpage of the World Health Organization. Since the world's pandemic, 4.5 million people globally have died. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It's 0.060% of the global population, 4.5 million people. 8 billion people on, on the earth. It's a lot. There's, there's many of you that you'll be at the Thanksgiving table this year. And one of your family members won't be there. The virus is real. On the same webpage at the World Health Organization, you can see that there's 99.94% of the global population still alive. You've watched leaders step into this space of a global crisis and they've made decisions, they've made mandates to control your life, the 99.94%. It's not that far of a stretch, biblically, that there will be a world leader, Revelations 13, who will step in and control the whole, make decisions for the whole world. Those two numbers... 0.060%. That's the World Health Organization. That's an important number. 4.5 million people have died. My goodness. 8 billion people on the earth. 99.64% are still alive. Those are World Health Organization numbers. They are important. That's why I put their logo. But you know, it's not the most important number. The most important number in the world is the number one. Not because a guy named Mark on Sunday morning said that it is. It's because of the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 and 7. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's our focus at Church of Hope. Our focus isn't all the other numbers that the world wants. Our focus, if you want the world to become a better place, you can get caught in the fray and the argument of all the public discourse. I'm telling you, 
The Bible tells us the greatest number is one. Step into the life of one person who does not yet know that Jesus Christ loves them and share, let them see how much satisfaction you have in Jesus Christ. And as that one becomes a follower of Jesus and another one becomes a follower of Jesus and another one becomes a follower of Jesus, the world becomes a better place because we move from government being our savior to God in Jesus being our savior. That's why in a few weeks we'll have one of the largest business conferences in the globe right here on our campus. You can register your company. You can register you. Whatever dreams that you got, come on this day. Thank you. You've given very generously and faithfully. We're able to buy the site license for this conference. We're able to put on the entire conference from a missions perspective, to say thank you to all of our business leaders for providing jobs in our community, to help them with the felt need. What's the felt need? The felt need is a business you want to make money. You want your profits to be higher than your expenses. You want to know how to hire the right kind of people, how to create the right kind of business culture. We step into the felt needs of business leaders so that we'll earn the right in time to step in and give them the ultimate need to discover that in Christ we have hope. That's why we do 3G Sunday. Since the beginning of our church in 2008, we, every year, some years we've done it twice, where we gather in the parking lot in your blue jeans and your t-shirts. You've been signing up for projects through your small groups. Good news, if you're not in a small group, you are covered. You can sign up on your own or you can, you know, on the on the screen here, you take a picture of the, the QR code or just stop by um, the Hope Connections desk. They'll get you signed up. Why do we do this? Because people need to see Jesus more than they need another sermon. And so we step into our community and we let them see the hands and the feet. I want people to look and say, oh my goodness, the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater than any government anything that they could ever offer us. That's the kind of sign that our world needs today. Hey, I want to pray for you. If you would, would you just stand up and stretch your legs? I'm going to pray God's favor over you as you walk out the door. In this prayer, if you've never become a follower of Jesus, this is your time. This is your space. Jesus loves you. Jesus is not mad at you. Jesus is madly in love with you. And you can begin. I want you. Yes, you have been created in God's image. But the only way to become a son or daughter of God is to ask him to forgive you of your sins. You can't fix yourself. The government can't fix you. It's only Jesus. So right where you're standing, you don't have to bow your head. You can keep your eyes open. Just say, hey, God, it's me. Today I choose you, Jesus. I admit that I've sinned. I believe that you died on the cross and three days later became alive again. And I want you to save me and to come into my life. And right now here today, he will save you. And to those who prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. You can use the Connect card at your chair or stop by the Connections desk. We'd like to help you continue to grow in following Christ. Or in the privacy of just you and your phone, you can text the word TODAY. Just the word TODAY to 63566. And we'll come alongside of you. Help you keep following Jesus. Father in heaven, I love you. 
Bless these men and women. May we find deep and longing satisfaction in you, God. Do not let us be deceived by government. Do not let us be deceived by human promises. Help us, God, to know our Bibles, what you have to say. Help us, God, to know that people are not our enemy. Help us to understand that pointing people to discover hope in your son, Jesus, is the ultimate win in life and the only way to leave this life. May they walk in your favor. I love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Peace.